Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate, or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hi, this is KT Thomas from KT's Money Matters. You know, through the course of life, there are lots of good things that happen, and then there are some very sad things that happen. And so I always say death of a loved one is probably one of the hardest things you ever get over in your life. I always think about like my dad, like he's still alive and he's been gone for eight years now. And my brother's been gone for five and I feel like my brother just left. And so I thought we'd talk a little bit about what you need to know as you think about either losing a loved one, what you should be thinking about financially, like if you lost a spouse or what you do to help somebody that you care about that's lost a loved one, like a parent. I always think about like my mom after my dad passed. and. I think that the first thing I want to say to you is there are a lot of well-meaning people that are usually in your life that are circled around you trying to help you get to that next place where you feel okay. Maybe you're the person trying to help your parents get there. And sometimes people really mean well, but they don't always do the right thing. And so I always try to use things from my own personal life. And so when my dad passed, my mom, who was always sure she wasn't going to be the survivor, so this, you know how every family has a story. My family story was that my mother was an insulin-using diabetic and, quote, diabetics always die young. So that my father, who had longevity, was going to live to be really, really old and my dad was, my mother was going to be gone. So shock of shocks, my mother wakes up and finds that she is the survivor. And she is shocked, to put it mildly, because she, again, the story always was, it was going to be her first So she didn't really worry about these things. But then suddenly she was in the driver's seat. And I think that people find this a lot in their lives. You know, you can have this great plan for how you think it's going to work, but you know, you know what they say, when you make plans, God laughs. (laughs) So there's my mother. Now she's got her own car, an older car. And my dad had a newer car with a small car loan on it. And my brother needed a car because I think my brother always needed a car. But anyway, my mother decides the night of the funeral, to take her stuff out of her car and give her car to my brother. And my brother left with it. And so my mother thinks, I don't need two cars. My son needs a car. Let me just give him this car. And I said, well, you know, maybe we slow down a little bit, but it was too late. That car was rolling down the driveway. She wasn't really taking any advice about this because, you know, you're grieving. And when you're grieving, you're not yourself. That's the thing I can say to you. You're not yourself. You're a watered down version of yourself. And you can't really think things through because you're just emotionally so raw. So that was okay because my mother really only did need one car and my father's car was the better of the two cars. So my mother said, you know, this makes sense. I'll keep the better car and I'll give away the other car to my brother who needed a car. So then within a few days, my mother decides to try to go change the registration on the car from my father to her. So my sister Eileen gets in the car and drives her all the way to Hyannis from Falmouth in Massachusetts and they go into the registry and they find out they can't change the registration. Why? Because my mother doesn't own the car. My father and Toyota Motor Credit owned the car. So my mother says, I got all the way to the registry and they wouldn't let me register the car. I don't know what I'm going to do now. And I said, well, we need to call Toyota Motor Credit and find out what we need to do because the loan is in dad's name and dad is deceased. I said, if you want, I can do that call with you. No, I got it. I can call these guys. So she calls them up and they say, well, we'd need to put the loan in your name. And they say, Mrs. Thomas, we can send you a credit application and you can apply or you can pay the loan off, but we can't 
retitle the loan and the title unless you apply for credit with us and get approved. So now this was a shocking thing to my mother. My mother just thought they'd change the loan over to her name from his and the title from her name to his, and she'd continue to make the payments and it would all be great. But of course, nothing that should be simple is simple. And when you're grieving, nothing is simple. So she gets a credit application from Toyota Motor Credit. I'm down the next day and I say to her, what's that? She said, Toyota wants me to apply for a loan in order to rewrite this loan from your father to me. I don't think I should have to do this, but I can't get the title to re-register the car unless I take over the, unless I apply, I don't mind taking over the loan, but I actually have to apply and get approved. And she says to me, I haven't applied for credit in 12 years. I don't even know if I have any credit anymore. The house has been paid off for years. I haven't had a car loan in years. What if they say no? So there's my mother all worried about this. And I said, you know, why don't we find out what the balance is? Maybe we'll just pay it off. And ultimately, that's what we ended up doing. We ended up paying the car loan off and getting the title and then signing the title over to my mother so that my mother could take another trip to Hyannis to get her car registered and get the insurance in her name and get it solved. The point of the matter is, though, she could have waited. She could have said to my brother, why don't you let me, let's let the dust settle a little bit and let me figure this out and maybe I can give you that car. Or my brother who really didn't understand that it really wasn't appropriate, could have said, no, mom, don't do that now. We can talk about this later. But the idea of slowing somebody down that's in the grieving process because they so badly just want to do something so they can say, I got this part done. And that little edge that makes you want to go fix things right away is actually the thing that gets most grieving people in trouble. So whether you're the griever or you love the griever, the first thing I'll say to you is you want to slow down and you want to give yourself a chance to not make it harder than it needs to be. And so financial advisors have a lot of experience helping people figure out what to do with their money. And especially when people are in major life-changing situations like this. So I've asked Tammy Simons, CFP from our firm at New Day Solutions to talk with me a little bit about what you do to, first of all, if you're the griever, what you need to be thinking about and what you need to be thinking about if you're loving and trying to help the griever. So Tammy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I always think that there's like, you know, big chunks, right? So there's the stuff you got to do right away, then the stuff you got to do soon, and then the stuff you got to do at some point, right? So I was hoping maybe we could kind of break it down into those three buckets and think about what do people have to know and do right away? You know, the initial tasks after somebody passes away is it, it's a it's a quite the list and sometimes it can be overwhelming so one of the things that i would urge a person to do is maybe seek financial advice or work with a certified financial planner to help them through this process because as you said it's a hard time and you you don't want to make any decisions that are going to negatively affect you so I will go through go through this the initial list and you know some of the things are probably pretty obvious but others maybe not so much. So of course you want to obviously reach out to your loved ones once they passes and let them know that this has happened. This is probably going to be the most difficult thing that you've ever done. During this time you'll get an influx of people that want to help you. That's our nature. We all want to help. And so what I would urge you to do is find your circle, find your circle of people that can, can help you and accept the help. 
and don't accept the help from individuals that aren't going to help you and really kind of help yourself draw that line in a, in, in the most respectful way, help yourself draw that line. Because like you said, there's many people that have good intentions, but many times that can be overwhelming to the person actually dealing with somebody's estate after while they're grieving. Yeah. I mean, you don't want four people in there telling you what it is that they should, you should be doing right now. Right. Create your little circle and stick with your little circle. And like I said, accept the help. Many people don't accept the help. And from those people, they can help you, let them help you. So once they've got their little group and, you know, they've notified people, I always, can you talk a little bit about the, you know, I have some horrible stories about what happens at the funeral home, but what I want to say to people is that they should be careful there because you're, it's a very sad place and it's a place where we don't, thank God, don't have a lot of experience, right? I mean, how many funeral homes do you go to plan? How many funerals? Not that many. So by the time you go, you really don't know that much. And you're really trusting people that you don't know really that well to guide you through that process. What should people be paying attention to? Well, first I would urge you to focus on the documentation from your loved one that passed away. See if there was any kind of instructions left behind on what their wishes were. You may have to make that decision if they didn't leave you any kind of instructions. So many times you have these conversations through life of what you would want if something were to happen to you, but many times that's a hard conversation to have. So hopefully they put it down in their estate planning documents, but if not, you have to make that decision. And when you go, you'll have to make the, the, the funeral arrangements or the burial or the cremation, whatever you feel is the, the, the right type of service for your loved one. Now, I always, I think about this story because I, I think my life can't be so different from everybody else's, right? So, you know, after my dad passed, my mother, my sister Eileen and I all went to the funeral home to make the arrangements. And, you know, I'm a financial advisor, right? I have like, I talk about it in the book, the idea of being the doubting Thomas and about really challenging the price on things and being willing to ask the questions and making sure that you really understand what you're paying for and that you understand why you're paying for what you pay for. But that idea of being an educated consumer, but here's what I'll say to you. All of that went right out the window in the casket room. Yeah, it is helpful when you have a couple loved ones with you to help you make that decision. Many times one person will hear one thing and the other person hears something completely different. That's, again, human nature. When you're dealing with something traumatic, you will block out some things that that may be important. So having, again, a nice uh, circle around you to help you through this process is important. And then, so we get through the, we get through the funeral and there are some kind of calls and contacts we probably want to make pretty quickly. Can you outline what, like if somebody were to prioritize, what's the one, two, three things that they probably want to do first. Well, you want to obviously make sure that you contact your loved one's work to make sure that they are notified and that they are that they get the proper documents into place as well. You want to contact your own employer just to make sure that you have the, the bereavement time that may be due to you. Of course, you're going to need to put in the obituary into the local paper. Those are probably the the most urgent things that you'll need to do in order to communicate to those around you. And there are probably, I think, maybe three or four documents that you're going to want to find. 
that is part of the process that really lots of things, you know, I found out that, you know, my dad had been in the military, that we had to have the DD-214, which is the document that says he was in the Navy and he had served and he was honorably discharged and he was eligible to be buried in the veteran cemetery. So you had to have that DD-214. Other things was my mother had to go find her marriage certificate. She had to find his birth certificate. She had to have her own birth certificate. That these kind of documents were needed to just get the work done. Really didn't know what everybody needed, but you needed to have access to those. And so you probably wanted to gather those things and whatever estate plan that person had, be it a will or a trust, and have those documents collected because you were definitely going to need them. That's right. You'll need those documents. And obviously, once the services take place, you'll also need to have a few copies, certified copies of the death certificate. So then people always say to me, I better call Social Security and tell them they're dead. But I got to tell you, you know, Social Security always knows before the parent calls. Isn't that interesting? There is definitely, you know, reach out to Social Security, make sure that they have that down. In another conversation, we can talk about uh, security fraud. But many times, if if you don't contact Social Security right away and they don't have that information right away, that could be an issue if the Social Security number is out there and still alive. Yeah, the other thing is, I don't know if people know this, but when you get your death certificate, part of what the examiner does when they issue the death certificate is they actually notify Social Security. That's how come they always know before you tell them. That's why those checks stop showing up right away. They're right on top of that. <laughs> usually, usually. They know. Amazing, they, huh? they already know. You still want to call them because you want to call them and talk to them about things like whether or not you should be, if you're a spouse, should you be changing what you're getting as a result of what the fact that your spouse has passed or, you know, there are all these things mm-hmm. that you want to talk to them about, but you should know that they probably already know. Right. Yeah, def- definitely give them a call as soon as you can just to have those conversations because like you said, there there may be benefits out there for the spouse that you can take advantage of if you're the spouse. So, you know, one of the other things I always say is you want to collect anything that looks like a life insurance policy and call them and find out whether or not that, first of all, if the insurance is still in force. And secondly, you know, if it's payable to you that sometimes people they tend to collect life insurance, like picking flowers along the side of the road. They buy a policy, they put it in a drawer, and then maybe several years later, they got another policy to replace that policy, but they never got rid of the old policy. So that policy, they still have the paperwork, but it's not really a policy. And I always say you want to just find out what, you know, I always say it's like truth or fiction. Is it real? Yeah, you want to take a a good inventory of everything that person had uh, as far as insurance, individual insurance, as well as coverage, maybe through their workplace. Going beyond that, also taking inventory of all their assets. So many times that's all going to be in one filing cabinet that you'll be able to find. Of course, if they had a financial planner, you can always reach out to the financial planner. Many times they have all of that information as well. But taking a good inventory of everything that you can find in their in their filing cabinet is is definitely good advice. So in the beginning, you want to take a good inventory. You want to contact the employers, yours, and your if it's your spouse, your spouse's. And you want to make sure that you gather all the documents that you're going to need to do the process. Decide who's on your team who's going to help you get through this, whether that's professional help or it's family members or or how it's going to go. And you want to slow down a little bit and not try to make any big decisions until you have that 
small circle, like you talk about, Tammy, the small circle of people and the resources in place. But then, so now the funeral is over and we're on to maybe it's three months down the road and there people are ready to start to sort of dig in and try to get some of these things done. What should they be doing next? Well, you definitely want to look into probate court. This usually happens anywhere between three to nine months, give or take. You know, it really depends on where you, where you're at with the situation. You although you you want to make sure to reach out to them. It doesn't, like you said, have to be done the first week. But you you'll want to file the if there was a will, file that through the probate courts. Obviously, real estate go, that would need to go through probate courts as well, and possibly contact a, a probate attorney uh, to help you through that process. You'll want to notify the creditors as well. So every state has different laws around when they must put a claim in for any kind of credit that, that the descendant had, but reach out to them via mail and, and make sure that they are aware that the descendant has, has passed away. Many times that debt is not anybody's responsibility. So unless it was jointly owned, they'll once they put the claim in, that will that claim will go towards the estate of the descendant. So know that it's most likely not going to be anybody's responsibility, but it will go into the estate. And so that will come out of the estate, but it's up to the creditor to do that. And they usually have, like I said, every state has a different law but they usually have about 30 days to put that claim in once they get notification from you. So try to do that sooner than later, but three to six, three to nine months after somebody's passed would be a good time for him to do that. Also, the federal estate tax needs to usually needs to be done within nine months of the death. Income tax is usually done at the typical time before April 15th. And really that's it, three to, three to nine months after the death. So really, by the time that you get here, you know, you're three to nine months into it, probably by now you've done things like transfer various assets from being jointly held to individually held. You know, if it's your spouse, you've taken their name off your credit cards. You know, sometimes it's funny because sometimes, you know, I used to see this all the time as a young planner. I don't see it that much anymore. But it used to be that the utilities were all in the name of the husband and then the husband would die. And years later, the phone bill would still be coming in in his name. <laughs> and it was almost like they didn't want to take him out of the phone book and they didn't want to change it. And they just never did. They never called to change it. But today, I think people are more on top of this idea that you want to, you want to wrap this up. You want to make this so that it's, that it's manageable and you take care of it. You want to look at your benefits as a spouse, especially for things like Social Security and benefits through your spouse's employer. And you want to make sure that now, after it's all said and done, you actually go back and visit your own things. So once we've wrapped everything up, let's say that person that passed was the beneficiary of our life insurance policy, and we just never even thought about it from our perspective. We were thinking about their life insurance, but now we actually have to go back and think about our own. Right. You're now approaching the third stage to our conversation. So we had the initial tasks. And then we had the tasks that, you know, need, need to be done sooner than later, but it could be postponed a, a few months. And now you're at, the, at the, um, the stage where these things need to be done, but you can, you can do them as you're feeling okay. 
So don't try to take this all on in the first few months. It can be hard. It can be devastating. But when you're feeling good and when you're feeling up to it, make sure you're, you're focused on your own, your own thing. So who's the beneficiary on your account? Who is the, who does have their name on the, the electricity bill, you know, and, and make those calls as, as you, as you're feeling comfortable to do so. So take a look at your own estate plan and make sure that your estate plan now is where you want it to be. Take a look at your beneficiaries and, and make sure your beneficiaries is who, who they now need to be. Reevaluate your own budget. So is your budget now different now that your loved one's passed away or is it the same? So just keep an eye on those type of things as well. So I also think this is now when you really start thinking about, do I want to stay in that home by myself? You know, in the beginning, I think a lot of times people say, oh, we've got to move mom. This house is going to be too big, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, you know, you want to slow down and give people a chance to come to that decision themselves. But nine months to a year, now what it is, is you've been alone long enough now that you're starting to get into a rhythm of how you're running your life day to day. And you now know this is where you want to be, or this is where you don't want to be. So this is when you start to think about not the past, but the future. Yeah, I think you and I are really on the same page when we're we're talking with clients, KT, and we kind of urge them not to make any major decisions too soon. So wait a year. That's okay to make those big decisions like, you know, do do I sell the house or like your mom, do I give away that car or do I let it sit for a year and figure it out when I'm better? It, those are important rules of thumb to follow. Don't make any major decisions too soon. And take your time. No hurry. Tammy, thanks so much for spending time with us today. If people wanted to reach you, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, sure. They can give me a call on our toll-free number, 800-834-2101. They can always email me at Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, at NewDaySolutions.com. And as always, visit our website, www.NewDaySolutions.com. Thanks again. And for all of you who listen, thanks for listening. If you found this podcast informational and it met your needs, or you know somebody that should hear this podcast, feel free to share our link and subscribe to us on iTunes. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.